Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Energy Management Podcast. This is the only podcast for energy, sustainability, and facilities innovators to share their stories of energy best practices in the field with their peers. Today, we have a really great episode for you. Our good friend, Tim Dans, who is the chief engineer at the California Center, located at 345 California Street in San Francisco, California, is here to talk to us about his modern energy management story. Welcome to the show, Tim. It's great to be here, Amber. Thank you. So first off, I want to congratulate you. Uh, You and the folks at the California Center were nominated for a Smart Energy Decision Innovation Award. So congratulations. Thank you very much. We're we're delighted, believe me, the whole team. And will you be at the uh, Smart Energy Decisions Innovation Summit? Unfortunately, I am unable to attend um, because of a a conflict on the calendar, but the great news is um, one of our owner's representatives uh, from Chicago will be in Houston where we have a property and Tina will attend and accept the the award on behalf of our ownership and the building. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. We will be there as well. So let's roll right into it, Tim. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this space? Sure. Um, It has been uh, quite a long career at this point, Um, but if I go back to the very beginning, uh, as a younger man, I I started uh, uh, an internship at the Chrysler Building in Midtown Manhattan. It's a, a rather historic and iconic tower. I'd say. Yeah, I had a great opportunity to um, uh, spend uh, a summer with the engineering and operations crew there. And essentially, that was what really cemented my intent uh, to make operating skyscrapers my, my career path. Um, you know, I, I fell in love when I, when I got there um, and I got a look around at the size of things and uh, the systems and sort of the science behind um, high-rise operations, I was, just, I was just blown away and taken and um, decided that that's uh, the path I wanted to take. And, um, and you know, I, I took advantage of the opportunity and was afforded uh, full-time employment. Uh, and I then, you know, while working, um, I also attended school to acquire my New York City operator's license. Um, you know, I rounded my experience in, in five assorted uh, skyscrapers in New York City, the wa- last of which was the opening and commissioning of a large tower in Lower Manhattan uh, before relocating to San Francisco in the mid-80s. Uh, when I got here, uh, was part of teams that opened two more brand new towers, went through the whole commissioning process. And, um, you know, in this position, you wear a lot of hats, but uh, I would say the discipline uh, I found most exciting was the energy efficiency space and the huge potential it had when you put it on, on the scale of a skyscraper. That's very cool. So you've been doing this a long time, and I'm sure that there's a lot of differences because I'm sure a lot of the listeners to this podcast manage portfolios of buildings, but you manage incredibly large buildings, which is almost like managing a portfolio, but 
Can you explain to us the difference? Yeah, I mean, it, it's all, it's been one asset or one property at a time. And, um, you know, the engineering crews in these buildings um, are essentially resident. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's been one asset at a time uh, for any, you know, varying amounts of time. Uh, and, um, you know, it's been a, an assortment of buildings, whether they're brand new out of the ground uh, or, or historical landmarks or sort of middle-aged buildings uh, like this one, um, where there are all sorts of opportunities uh, for improvement. And uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, I'm sure. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, the California Center, kind of how it's unique, and about your role there and what, and what you've been doing. Very good. Um, 345 Cal, as it's also known, is um, essentially it's a 50-story tower in the financial district here in San Francisco. And it's somewhat unique in that 17% uh, of the asset is a five-star hotel, uh, the top 11 stories of the building. Um, the bottom 35 are multi-tenant commercial office uh, space. And so you have that dual element, and yet it's still one tower, uh, you know, that the two entities, hotel and office, um, they share a number of common systems or joint elements, as we call them, um, given the fact that it is still one skyscraper. And so, you know, as the chief engineer here, uh, you know, essentially handle the, the engineering and operations of the building. Um, I have a, a seven person team uh, and we cover a wide range of, of disciplines, um, system operations, the large central systems, uh, repairs, uh, a very robust preventive maintenance uh, program, uh, all things life safety, electrical distribution, um, all of those sort of disciplines that, you know, can be wrapped up in this envelope. Uh, and so, uh, again, in, in my position, one has to put on different hats um, based on uh, what discipline you're addressing at the time. Uh, you know, all aspects of emergency preparation, high-rise high life safety, and essentially protecting uh, our owner's liability. Um, but energy manager and strategic planner are primary to, to what I do day-to-day. Uh, -to -day. Can you unpack that a little bit? Like, what, can you explain why that's so important to the building? Because it seems like a big priority for, for everyone at the California Center. No question. Um, the, in it, with an asset like this, um, and I, I should also mention that um, the ownership group uh, that for this property um, have a, a, a you know a U.S. portfolio of like six trophy high-rise buildings, and um, I'm very fortunate uh, with working with and for this ownership. Um, they are real estate professionals. They are into these assets for a long-term hold, and that sets the stage for an environment where you know, you, you are uh, improvements, retrofits, upgrades. Um, this owner is willing to reinvest in their properties 
um, based largely on their culture, uh, which is to be, you know, excellent uh, in in this space. And so, you know, the when you look at properties on this scale and the opportunities they present for energy efficiency, you know, it it gets to be pretty heady stuff because I I can I can hopefully be part of teams that implement changes that have, you know, a, a significant impact, not only on the building's, you know, consumption and, and usage profile, but also, you know, as a steward, um, you know, in the bigger picture and, and wanting to be a responsible operator um, so that, you know, we really are having, uh, you know, paying attention to sustainability, uh, you know, the climate issues that we, we face um, and, uh, you know, and then there's the, the bottom line business aspect of it and, and the fact that, you know, energy makes up a big part of our operating expense. Um, one really has to sort of lay out a strategic plan that, that in our case goes out for years, you know, implement these changes that, that you can measure and that have a, a real positive impact. Um, we well, are we de facto energy managers here. I love that. And we, we sure appreciate it, um, all your hard work. And you've, you've done a many projects over the years. Can you explain to us how technology has helped you modernize this building? Okay, so let's see. We'll see if we can count the ways. Um, really, tech is at the core of pretty much everything we've accomplished here. You know, the use of uh, PLCs, program programmable logic controllers uh, that have a, a machine learning capability, wireless zone controls, uh, direct digital controls, uh, variable frequency drive conversions, advanced lighting controls with daylight harvesting, um, data collection across all sorts of uh, use cases. Uh, fiber optic communications infrastructure, uh, and uh, a smart elevator system with regenerative drives that actually return power to the building distribution system. And so uh, with technology and, and a commercial asset um, like this, I talk often about the, what I call the joy of ownership, you know, and the fact that there comes a time when mechanical systems reach or exceed their expected life cycle whether it be cooling towers or chillers, fans, pumps, controls. And um, they must be either replaced or comprehensively retrofitted. Uh, this is expensive and, um, you know, they're big projects, but all of them provide a great opportunity to get smarter and more efficient um, given the tech advances that, that are out there and that we've seen in the last you know, in our case, 35 plus years. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of different technologies that you guys have implemented to improve and modernize the operations of the building. How do you keep track of all of that? I'm sure there's a lot of data that you're getting from these systems. Um, how are you managing it all? It's, um, it's, it's a challenge, but I mean, um, where we've sort of uh, positioned ourselves for it. Um, again, the the fact that we have a rolling five-year um, capital plan uh, and, and what goes into that is addressing, um, you know, real life issues like life cycle and, um, you know, system uh, expiration or obsolescence, um, you, you prioritize, um, you, you obviously scour the asset 
um, assess uh, the state of systems as they exist today. You know, you know, we're we're always striving for um, you know improved re reliability. We want to uh, limit uh, exposure with regard to uh, vulnerability, and with that mindset, you one can go out um, and analyze systems, and um, you know, come up with a strategy uh, that will either you know prolong their life, optimize their life, or um, those instances where it's time to cut and run. Uh, and you know, take a 35-year-old system, you know, that was rated, let's say, for 25 years, and you know, uh, where it's it's the best move is um, to outright replace it. But when you do that 35 years after inception, you you know, one has to look to to uh, leverage the the tech advances that we've seen, and so yeah, and then a lot of you know, there is that that term that's been used in in our space. Uh, and others is, you know, for that matter is, um, you know, one cannot manage what they can't measure. And so data, data mining and data analysis is, is absolutely key to that. And uh, I think those of us in the space know that uh, there are copious uh, amounts of data that one can, can mine, but it's really the data that is relevant and, and useful. Um, but that's the beauty of, of this, uh, you know, this sort of movement is, you know, we're, we're talking about meters that measure uh, results, whether it's water, you know, uh, gas or steam and, and certainly power. And so um, what's really gratifying is when you um, implement one of these big moves is seeing the direct result uh, on the bottom line. That's always really powerful and it helps build a business case for, for future projects. I wanted to ask you about too, because it sounds like you've really mastered the ability to identify a problem, find a solution, build a business case to advocate for it, and then execute. Can you just walk us through your thought process on how you adopt a new technology and how you build a business case? You know, it's it's it has a, a sort of logical progression to it, and I've touched on it earlier. Is um, uh, assessment uh, and uh, of any given system or systems, and and um, doing essentially a, a health check, uh, and and fr that that's sort of the 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 uh, the cradle stage, um, and then one has to. Um, be collaborative in exploring um, options, uh, you know, to address the whether it's the age or outdated technology, or in some case obsolescence of a given system, um, and and that's really where you have to you really have to reach out, um, you know, outside of the walls of your operation and 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 uh, you know explore and. Um, you know, we all have assorted networks that we use. Um, I have never done anything uh, with a positive result um, by myself. Collaboration is just so key. Um, and just leveraging the, you know, the vast amount of, of, you know, knowledge assets that are out there, whether they're, you know, internet-based or just other professionals um, that go from, 
you know, design engineers to operators to architects to contractors and and making sure that you're really you're really staying aware of what's out there but more importantly um, how it may apply to your operation because let's face it there are techs out there that you know aren't a good fit but um, you know so that once and then you you've got some some ideas on how you're going to get from you know A to Z Um, and then then again given the energy aspect uh, one without too much difficulty can can do ROI calcs. You know, what are we, what are we consuming with the system as it exists today? Um, how much labor is is going into that system at its advanced age? Um, you know, is it reliable? Uh, all of these sort of uh, criteria. And um, uh, you do, you build your business case. And, and ideally that business case is multi-pronged. Again, reliability. Uh, uptime, uh, efficiency, such that, you know, the, the project could, you know, conceivably pay for itself in a reasonable amount of time. You know, and then also, you know, the working with the goal of extending the system upgrades or replacements out for another 25 or 30 years, as opposed to a Band-Aid approach. And so um, you, you put that case together based on a lot of diligence, and um, and then you know hopefully you have a receptive uh, upward uh, reporting and, and um, approval you know process and, and culture that is open and then then there are there are the mandates um, that are out there with regard to energy codes and and the like that drive uh, these these advancements and. Um, you know they be, they're expensive, but but they're they're well founded, and um, the results of some of the code mandated energy related stuff um, have been remarkable. You know that's that's how I try to do it, and um, you know building credibility um, is very helpful uh, if one starts out with um, some smaller low risk implementations uh, that are successful. Um, hopefully, they're building the credibility such that they, you know, they can continue uh, to advance and just keep checking things off the list. Yeah, it's a, it's a journey, isn't it? It really is. Uh, (laughs) A cradle to grave process on any, on on some of the big stuff we've done here has been, you know, five years in in the planning. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, you have to be, uh, deliberate and pragmatic, uh, in some cases, patient. And, um, you know, because let's face it, there are a lot of forces that are pulling on, uh, on budgets that mm-hmm. span all sorts of operational realities. Yeah, we got to be in it for the, for the long run. And you've done a great job of that um, with your award-winning build, building. So I, uh, <laughs> so I want to kind of, on that same note, because it's hard, it's hard to build a business case and to advocate for technology. And we know that there are some laggards in our industry, people who are accustomed to doing things the way they've always been done. And you and I have had a good laugh at, and we call, you called those people cowardly dinosaurs and said, don't be a cowardly dinosaur. Can you, can you um, explain that to our audience? Um, Of course. And um, you know, those two words, they, they connote uh, exactly what, what I'm trying to, you know, summarize in two words and 
you know, uh, let's let's get something straight. Cowardly dinosaurs are not bad people. Um, but, uh, it, you know, I, I've been around long enough and anyone who has uh, will inevitably uh, encounter individuals that, that are just, they're inherently close-minded, um, they're ignorant to the tech uh, that's out there that can improve imp performance, um, they're, they're stagnant, uh, maybe they've been around uh, the same environment for too long, or they're just plain scared to explore and, um, and pitch and implement projects, um, you know, based on the opportunities. And, you know, the sad and, and scary aspect of this type uh, of individual in our groups is many cowardly dinosaurs that are out there and, and they're in decision-making positions. And, and, and that's, that's, you know, what we hope to see or that individual, that mentality evolve out of our, our space. Um, you know, I use the term gatekeeper. And, um, you know, it, it's what's a, a, a bad combination in my mind is, um, you know, gatekeeper, someone who is the, the, the person who is going to, is charged with vetting and exploring um, technologies and opportunities, right? Um, whether they're an energy manager, an engineering manager, an asset manager, um, any number of folks um, who are tasked in that regard. And if, if, if that gatekeeper is, is a cowardly dinosaur, that's, that's a really, um, that's a recipe for just sort of um, standing still. Um, and if we're standing still, I think we can all agree that in today's day and age, we're going backward. Um, and so, you know, uh, it, it's, it's having to navigate these types of individuals um, in our organizations. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, there's cracks in the gate and, and um, but, but I've, I've railed against that, that personality type and I have challenged myself to, uh, you know, avoid that that stagnation, um, you know, and the fear. Then, you know, one some of these projects, when you you pitch them or you explore them and 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 put them together in a business case, you know, there is you know there is some inherent risk. Um, will it work? Um, you know, will it will it reap the 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 benefits that we project and um, you know, uh, that's where hopefully you can put the coward on the shelf and, and uh, you know, feel confident in the diligence that you've done. And, um, you know, I've gotten so much gratification and seeing the, the results that are just so uh, irrefutable. That's great. And I think you're a real great example of someone who's been innovative and nimble in your role, which can be traditionally a laggard. So I'm, I've always been super impressed with the work that you've done. So. And Amber, remember, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an older man. <laughs> no. I, I am not, you know, I am not a, a millennial or I, I am north of, of six decades. And um, again, it's like, uh, if I allow myself to slip into that dangerous place, uh, you know, um, I'll end up beating myself up. Um, and so uh, I've got to practice what I preach.
Yep. And you're definitely in that top percentile of most innovative chief engineers I know. So. Everyone can do it. Oh. All right. So I wanted to unpack something that you mentioned earlier, which is local mandates. And along with this cowardly dinosaur idea, how do you think local mandates can help push some of these folks who maybe haven't considered technology over the edge? It, it's, it's, it's a great question, a great point. Um, the fact is, in a sense, uh, the mandates um, have, uh, oh, I don't know, they have relieved the cowardly dinosaurs of uh, some of the, uh, the things that scare them. Um, you know, when things are voluntary uh, and, and yet they make good business uh, cases, but, you know, it, it's a different dynamic. You have to sell the project to the, to the stakeholders. Um, and, you know, the stakeholders spend, you know, a range, whether they're financial folks, whether they're, you know, ownership, uh, it could be, um, you know, in a corporate facility environment, you know, a larger sort of uh, approval chain. Um, but uh, mandates are mandates and, and, you know, such that one can go to the owner, or the purse, purse keeper uh, and say, hey, uh, it's the law. Uh, we must comply. And so those mandates have gone a long way to, um, you know, I hope they're not helping to hide the, the, the dinosaurs, um, but uh, they have certainly had an impact. And, and we all live, you know, in a, in a time uh, with uh, the climate crisis, uh, with population growth, um, you know, resources that are being stretched. Um, uh, such that we, we've, you know, uh, the, the zero net energy uh, movement um, and what not only the city of San Francisco and the city of Oakland, but the state of California are doing with some ambitious goals uh, to get to zero net energy. And so, um, thank goodness there are these mandates that help drive uh, energy, you know, use reduction. Um, uh, because in, in some cases, it's the only way it will get done in certain organizations and at certain assets. Yep, that's the truth. And I think we'll start to see in the next few years, everyone kind of nudging in the same direction. And I'm really excited to see what we can do here in California and all the major cities really that are, that are pushing for these mandates. And it's an exciting time. Yeah, what I, I just add one um, piece to it, and, and this is what I, I consider a long time sort of untapped uh, resource in, in this space, and, and that is occupants. Occupants of these properties um, that, uh, you know, uh, and, and in, in trying to engage um, our, our occupants and, and um, solicit their involvement in, in the bigger movement. And... Um, you know, uh, we've partnered with PG&E and other, you know, groups in, in trying to really um, shine a light on that. And the codes um, are, are even sort of sprinkled, um, certainly the electrical codes in California, Title 24, um, there is occupant engagement elements to the mandate um, that are really encouraging because, again, it's, it, they're an un, uh, untapped resource, um, changing behavior. 
uh, in the workplace where you know, an individual may not be as incentivized as they would be, let's say, in their home where they're paying for their uh, utility bill. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that can be gleaned from, from all of the folks that we have that are, are energy users in, in the building. Yeah, which brings me to a great point because that's at the core of everything that we believe here too. It's occupant behavior change for a more sustainable built environment. And we've seen it happen and you've actually just implemented a great project with the tenant uh, occupant behavior, occupant um, data analysis. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, and, and we're still, um, we're getting closer and closer to what would be considered in our, you know, uh, environment here at the California Center, um, a, a substantial uh, transition. And, and um, try to keep it simple because it really is. Um, the nature of uh, the commercial office leases here, uh, which is the case across the, uh, the CBD and, and in the industry, you know, are such that a, a, a tenant in, in a, a property um, pay their pro rata share of utility um, costs, you know, water usage, power usage, uh, whatever you're using on the utility for to heat and condition your building. Um, so in a case in point is a, a tenant that occupies 5% of the, uh, you know, the rentable square feet in a property uh, with our current lease, structure that they, they are paying five percent of utility costs um, and that's fine and utility costs are covered that way you know tenants pay their rent and they pay their share of operating expenses which of course is a long list you know whether you're cleaning the building maintaining the building repairing it um, securing it and so on but utilities are a big you know piece of that pie so the, 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 the problem with that, that approach is it really lacks incentive um, for the tenant. Um, you could have uh, a tenant that is high density or uh, you know, power user, um, you know, or one that is just inherently inefficient uh, and they may be consuming more than their pro rata share of the utility costs, but uh, they're not incentivized to reduce their usage because they're not being, you know, they're not paying for what they eat is what I've come to, to say. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we did and, and in partnership with, with Lucid, who has been a, just a great, a great partner in, in the whole process is, um, you know, we went through this sort of three phase implementation. Uh, first phase was putting in place revenue grade, um, you know, meters, power submeters, over 60 of them, every floor in the building, and then onto all sorts of systems in the building um, uh, that are, again, revenue grade power uh, consumption meters. Um, put those all in place, and now we're collecting data. The next step was uh, we built a fiber network, a vertical network that would enable us to start a series of implementations, most of which have an energy impact. We, the, 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 the meters that we put in place can talk. 
um, we integrated them onto our fiber network. And then uh, we partnered with Lucid um, in uh, establishing, uh, putting in place a gateway. And that meter data um, is streaming out to the Lucid platform. And uh, another example of a cloud-based uh, system for us so that you know, essentially now the, 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 the stage is set to transition to direct metering. And our management team, the leasing team and ownership, as well as myself, are, um, have been um, using the data we've been collecting uh, to do comparisons on, you know, what people are paying today based on the pro rata agreement and what they would be paying today if they were paying for what they eat. And um, in many cases, you know, there are tenants that will benefit from it, but um, we are on the verge of changing our lease language such that we're gonna transition to direct power metering. Um, this, in my mind, um, is gonna be a, a catalyst for, um, you know, better occupant engagement. Um, I love that. So now, are these tenants gonna have monthly reports or are you going to do dashboards in their offices? What's your plan for engaging those occupants? Um, all of that is in play. Um, you know, building OS allows us um, to take that data and what we'll do is continue to sort of tweak and optimize the platform so that, you know, tenant A can uh, see, have access to, and, and monitor their, their um, real-time energy use. So not only what we consumed yesterday or last month or for the year, but they can look at it in real time. And so that, that is, you know, that is something that as the, the, the meter, the direct billing transition, it's happening. Um, we, part of that is transparency. So the tenant um, can see their usage data. As you guys know, um, that has a just based on human nature and there have been studies done, but that by itself will, will stimulate um, efficiencies. Um, uh, we humans love to be graded and we tend to want to improve our grades. Yes, we, we'll have the ability, um, you know, and so many businesses out there have become increasingly savvy and have, you know, any number of corporate um, uh, sustainability goals, uh, reporting requirements, and all of that. So it all really does combine to, you know, create an environment where uh, occupants will help us and help themselves in, in reducing carbon footprint and uh, associated costs. I love that story. It's, it's really core to what we do and what we believe. So it's great to hear you guys are executing on that. Um, well, we're coming up towards the end of our time. So I always like to ask the guests on the show the same question at the end, which is, what have you learned in your journey and what advice would you give to someone who is maybe looking to accomplish what you've accomplished? Um, I've learned a lot uh, and I still have so much more to learn, but um, really uh, I've learned to, to be open and stay open uh, directly, directly related to that is, is to not that not allow yourself to get stagnant, um, you know, and sedentary, so to speak. Um, remain all of us until the end of what we're, we're doing. Um, you know, we have to maintain a student of the game 
uh, approach and mentality. Um, you know, learn to, to leave no stone unturned, um, you know, through, you know, analysis, uh, exploration, prioritization, you uh, know, and that point I made earlier, the, the idea that, you know, you, you can't ma manage what you don't measure. And so, um, you know, I've, I've learned to mine and use data in a productive way. Um, I've also learned that, um, you know, in, in environments like this, uh, it's a continuous effort. Um, it isn't a one-time, um, you know, these aren't one-off um, implementations. Um, you know, controls, for example, can drift and um, one has to continually recommission. And um, <clears throat> that's gotta be part of one's um, overall, you know, energy, uh, you know, program. Um, and then I just close on <clears throat> that the fact that if you know if you are a, a cowardly dinosaur you're going to become extinct. So lessons from today: don't become extinct. <laughs> Stay open. <clears throat> always optimize. Always be learning. You heard it from Tim Dance himself, the chief engineer at the California Center, three four five California in San Francisco. Tim, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you so much, Amber. It's been, it's been great, and thank you for having me. And I'll see you tomorrow. We're going to be doing a little walkthrough of uh, the California Center. I can't wait. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to showing it to you. And for all of you listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. This is the Modern Energy Management Podcast. My name is Amber Artrib. I'm the producer of this show. If you have any questions for us or if you'd like to come on the show, please go ahead and email us at communications at luciddg.com. We'd love to hear from you and we would love to give you a platform to share your modern energy management story. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and you can catch the show wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, we'll be back next week with another great story for you. Thank you.
did uh, uh, an internship. Um, 